way. I'm not used to standing behind it, uh, having the table. So we are going to talk about joy today, the joy in the midst of discouragement. I'm super excited about having this conversation, by the way, because I like joy. You like joy? Um, And if you don't have joy, man, you just long for it. Like, man, I just wish there was more joy in my life. Um, And But anyway, so we get to have this conversation, joy, in our third week of Advent. We've been talking about Advent, and one of the things that we know about Advent is just it's an anticipation of something that is to come, like you're just longing for it and waiting for it. And that's definitely what led up to Jesus' birth, right, is just that the nation, the people of God were longing for God to show up and to deliver them and to take over. But Advent is more than just, you know, the Christmas part of it. It is it is something that is connected not just from our past, you know, Jesus's birth, but it's also connected to our present and it's connected to our future. Because not only is there a longing for Jesus to show up, now that we know that Jesus has shown up, there is a longing in us for him to come back. Um, and that kind of differs, I guess, suppose, based on where you are in in life as well as maturity spiritually and all kinds of things. But I, but I do think that there is at least the world in itself is longing. Even in the midst of looking out and seeing all of the corruption, we have this sense of just a longing that God would rescue us, you know, and take us to be where he is. And so Advent is about, you know, looking at back in the past of this longing for them to see Jesus come. But then there's also this longing of God making it all right forever with Jesus coming back. And all of that kind of blends together into our present. And that's what we are here to do is talk about Advent. Advent is uh, remembering that God is with us in everything that we do. And we are going to today look into this experience of joy, you know, because joy is definitely, just as we've been talking about, it's something, all these things, hope and peace and joy and love, they're all come from God. They're experiences that God has given us because of what he has done. And we get to look at joy. We're going to look at it through the lens of Elizabeth and Mary, these mothers of joy. And there's a lot of joy in the, the Bible, um, a Christmas story for sure, just all the way through. We already looked at at the uh, uh, shepherds out in the field nearby and the angels, you know, uh, glorifying and bringing joy into the world. But I think it's really important for us to look at joy through the lens of discouragement and and pain and uh, discomfort and things of that sort because. We need to understand that joy is ours to be had in all seasons of life. And I think Elizabeth and Mary help us to see this in a very important way. So Luke starts the story not just with Mary and, and Joseph and having baby Jesus. It goes further, back further than that. And it actually starts with Zachariah and Elizabeth expecting the little baby John. And so that's where we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, 
Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all of the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And just in that little short paragraph, one of the things, we learn a lot of things, but one of the things we learn is that there is a guy who was ruling the, the area at the time, and it was Herod. And he wasn't a very good ruler as far as he was very brutal and cruel and had just brought a lot of oppression upon God's people as they, uh, uh, you know, as Rome was in control. And so we also learned in just that little paragraph that Zachariah and Elizabeth were from the priestly lineage. They were, they were important religious people, but they were blameless and upright. And that's really important to remember because this would have been a time where there was a whole lot of corruption going on in the religious world with all of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees brought into it and all of the crookedness and, and cunning and, and different things that they would have done. And so here you have Rebecca, I mean Elizabeth and Zechariah just in stark contrast. And the, and the Bible is bringing that forth. They are blameless and upright. doesn't mean that they were sinless and didn't ha- never done anything or thought anything wrong. It means that they were trying to live their lives the very best they can to please God in everything they did. And then another thing that we learned in this little paragraph is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They were advanced in years. They were way beyond having kid years. And all of that changed suddenly and miraculously because if we continue to read the story, we know that the archangel Gabriel shows up when Zechariah was doing his priestly duties and told Zechariah that he was going, his wife was going to have a child. And don't you know that would have been kind of mind-blowing in and of itself. But just that he was not going to be just a normal kid. He was going to be this prophet of a man, like this huge person that would end up preparing the way for God's people and the coming of the Messiah. Elizabeth is quick to believe the news. She is so excited. Can you even imagine how excited she would have been, but also, I think, a little terrified. But it tells us in verse 24, or 25, it says, Thus the, Lord has gone, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. There's an odd note that comes right before that verse, and it's already up here on the screen. But there, in verse 24, and it says this, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden away. She became pregnant, and you would have thought that that would have been like the moment that it was told her, even before she actually had her first pregnancy test, right? She would have thrown a huge party. She would have made this known As far as she can make it known, I am finally going to have a child. Because it would have been such a 
ordeal back then specifically. I think it's still an ordeal today, but I think it's so much more so, times a thousand, back then to not have a child because there's so much that we understand today that they wouldn't understand then. And the way that they would have perceived not having a child is, is that God is, is not blessing your life. And God is holding something back for some reason. This has been the reasoning behind this. Because everything led to having kids and feeling like you contributed to the world and, and life. And, and that's how you find fulfillment and, and, and joy and all of this. And so she would have been, had none of that. And she would have had a lifelong of pain because everybody would have saw her differently. Every time she went somewhere, she would have felt like people were judging her, which they would have been judging her. They would have been like, oh, Elizabeth, she acts like she's so righteous. Remember the Bible says that she was blameless and upright, right? Oh, she acts like she's so righteous, but we know that there must be something behind those closed doors going on because she doesn't have any kids. And you think, oh, they wouldn't have judged her like that, but they would have judged her. You see, Elizabeth's self-worth probably sunk over the years, and she probably just lost all hope that this would ever be a thing. At one point, she probably just accepted it, right? When it was finally beyond the years of ever it being even possible for women to have a child. And so she finally just accepted that it wasn't going to happen. And maybe that's why she's in seclusion. I think that that's an important thing that the Bible knows. In fact, anything that the Bible says is an important clue to something, right? But I I don't know, why why did she hide away for five months? Maybe she just didn't want people to steal her joy. And she just wanted to kind of just capture it all, you know? Maybe she was just afraid that it wasn't going to last. Maybe she's been there before. I don't know. Like she thought she was pregnant and then she's not pregnant. I think a likely reason is that she knows that she couldn't bear the pain if this doesn't play out the way that she hopes, right? I mean, she's hopeful. She's grateful beyond any imagination to God that I'll even though she's old, but she is old. And I think that she's hopeful and she's full of joy, but I think she's scared out of her mind that this won't actually come to be. Can you, can you believe and doubt at the same time? Is that possible? Can you believe and doubt at the same time? Or is one trump the other? If you doubt, you don't believe. Or vice versa. I think you can believe and doubt at the same time. Let me prove that to you in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 and 17. This is something that I always was confused by when I read it, but I think I, in my older years, I think I'm beginning to understand it. 
But this is where the disciples, right, are fixing to have their moment with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And it's the last moment because Jesus has shown himself all over the place. But he, he gathers his disciples together here in Matthew 8, 28 and verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So this was a meeting that Jesus pulled together, right? And it says there, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What does that mean? I believe that you can believe, because belief is what got them to the top of the mountain, right? I believe you can believe and you can doubt. And I believe that that's what was kind of stern and struggling with what was going on with Elizabeth, is that she believed that it was true what, what the angel said to her husband. But man... This is something she has been hoping for all of her life. What if God's just testing her and just seeing if she really believes, but at the last moment it's not going to happen? Or, or what, if, what if they judge her anyway? You know, like, I'm going to be pregnant, but now I'm an old lady, and they're just going to be like, look, look at that old lady pregnant. Because she knows how cruel people are. But whatever the reason is, she finds herself in seclusion and I think that the th- my takeaway, and here's what I want us to, reason I want us to dive into this, is my takeaway is, is that her going into seclusion is because of so much pain that has happened in her life. Because of not having a child. I think there's a whole lot of reasons why she could be there, I suppose, but I think that the number one overarching umbrella reason for her being there is because she is a woman that has suffered so much discouragement and still is in her pregnancy now meanwhile in galilee if we were to watch a movie that's where it'd always be like right meanwhile like what was going on for five months with elizabeth meanwhile an angel shows up over in the other side of the neck of the woods where mary lives and gabriel is showing up again having a conversation with mary And I want us to look at that. Mary, you know, receives this news. It's good news to us. I think it was good news to her. But it was one of those things that, can you have good news and bad news at the same time? (laughs) Like a good side and a bad side. The good news is, is that she is expecting, and it's not just a normal child, it's going to be the son of God. Bad news is, she's expecting... And it's not a normal child, it's the Son of God. You see what I'm saying? I think that it's, it's not good news all around. It comes with a huge burden to carry. And she knows that because of this news, this good news, the bad is fixing to take place. And people will start ridiculing her. They'll be like, Mary... You're betrothed to Jesus, so legally you're bound together, but it, you're premature in consummating that marriage. You're not supposed to have relations with your husband until after the ceremony. And back then, again, it's a little different than it is today, but that would have been the rights of like you're losing your life, being stoned to death. That would have been like the most disgraceful thing that you could have ever have attached to you 
like the, you know, the scarlet uh, letter type of thing. And she would have had to face all of that, just the treatment, not just from people that are distant, but people that are close and family. Even the ones she is betrothed to, how is he? How, how do you make people believe the baby that is in your womb is God's son and it didn't come through natural ways? We just, we hear it so often, I think we have a hard time really understanding what a dilemma this would have been. But even Joseph couldn't believe at first. But according to Matthew's narrative, the angel come along and helped him in his unbelief. Maybe that's why, and this is the reason I want us to understand her pain, Because in Elizabeth's pain, she went and hid for five months, right? In Mary's pain, what did she do? Look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In the NIV, it says that she hurried. The ESV says, in haste. In other words, as quickly as you possibly can get your stuff together. Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. What's in Judea? We already read that. That's where Elizabeth lives. Mary must have heard that her relative, Elizabeth, because you know that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, right? Distant cousins. But Mary must have heard that Elizabeth, her relative, was miraculously pregnant also. And if anybody will understand what I'm going through. Elizabeth would understand. So the first place that we find joy erupting in our lives, and this is really super, I think, important. I'm super excited about sharing this with you. But the first place that joy can erupt in our lives is when we were with people that we have like-mindedness about. Joy is felt most in and through mutual bonds. The Bible calls this, it has a name for it. You know what it is? Koinia is the Greek name. What is that for? Fellowship, right? When you truly fellowship is when you're truly with somebody that you have mutual bonds with. You have like-mindedness with. And you just know. Like they know your situation and your what you're going through and you know what they're going through and you have this camaraderie, this bondedness that is unique. And against this backdrop of discouragement and disgrace and grief that they, both these ladies would have experienced, they ran to each other to find strength from one another. Isn't that cool? And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says... And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So how is it that, that joy just kind of bursts forth in the midst of so much discouragement and pain in these people's lives? Well, there are several reasons that I want to kind of lay out, but the very first one I want you to see is super important, and that's because they had each other. That's where it came from. In, in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says, In those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She just ran right past Zechariah and went right to Elizabeth. Why? Because what a relief that must have been to Mary. To have somebody in her corner, only one person in her corner, somebody that would understand the moment that they laid eyes on each other. Like she did not, Mary did not even have to explain herself like she had been doing from the moment that Gabriel told her she was pregnant and going to have a baby, right? She didn't have to explain herself to, to Elizabeth at all. She just felt comfort and joy and, and, I don't know, just so much from that. And it's a beautiful scene. Koinia is the Greek word for fellowship. Do you remember me reading last week when I was reading to you about the first church they got together and they, they're in Acts and they, and they come together and what does it say about them? It says that they broke bread together. They had fellowship, this koinia. They, they read from God's word together. And it said that they had all things in common. And then it said things like they went and sold all that they had and they brought it to the elders' feet and placed it there so that it could be dispersed out among whomever is in need. And the reason is because is there was such a bond. They were like family. They were like in this together. We just, God, Jesus came. God is for us. We are got a, a new kingdom that we are all going to. So we are just in this together. Let's just get through this life together kind of thing. And it was, it was koinia at like it's, epitome like the highest level of what it could be like but they they were bonded a mutual bond that they had and that's the way this was i love the word mutual bond because it's both sides coming together to help and to be helped and so you have mary and elizabeth both having pain they have this news it's good news bad news kind of thing and they don't know how to even share it without being ridiculed, but they find each other and they have this mutual bond and they just erupt with joy. Even the baby inside their womb is erupting with joy. And I think that that's the way the church ought to be and I think that's the way the church is often. We, don't, we, we, we overlook the good sometimes, but that's what the church is, is a mutual bond coming together and sharing each other's sorrows and carrying each other's burdens and coming alongside each other when we are down and out and people lifting us up and helping us when we help. And it's a two-way street, right? Sometimes we're being helped and sometimes we're helping. But I think the people, the only time I've ever come across anybody that is really down and out about the church is because they just want it to be a one-way street. It can't be a one-way street. It's always got to be a two-way street. You always have to be giving into this fellowship as well as receiving into this fellowship, you see? And when it's a two-way street, there is joy that's just there. 
Here's the second thing, and that is joy is our strength. And there's a great example of that in Nehemiah, and I'm going to zip through this, but Nehemiah was given permission by the king to go, you know, into where Babylon uh, took over, and he was going to rebuild Jerusalem, and you know kind of the story. In the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, he brings the people together so that they could hear the word of God. He's trying to bring revival and bringing people back into the word of God. And as they are doing this, there's something beautiful that takes place in the midst. And that's what I want to read to you in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It's, the Bible says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and since some of those who have nothing prepared, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Like, like celebrate because we have joy. Why? Because God has given us strength. And that is really where our joy comes from. Joy is our strength because we have a Messiah that has come into the world through this child, Jesus. And it, it is he that gives us strength and reason to have joy. No matter what our circumstance, no matter what our situation is. Here you have Elizabeth and this baby leaping for joy, not because they're... They're happy with all that's going on in the world. They're not. But because the Messiah has come into their life. And that's where our joy comes from. Nehemiah is reminding the people, the reason we have joy, not because the temple was destroyed. We have joy because God is our source of joy. And the Word of God is our source of joy. That's one of the things I'm so excited about, I can't even tell you about us all trying to get on the same page with being in the Word of God daily, daily and having some accountability of being in the Word of God daily. Why? Because I know that that is a source of our joy. Is The strength of our joy is in God himself, is in Jesus himself. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 8 and 9, it says, Though you have not seen me, you love me. And even though you do not see me now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you have received the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You have received an inexpressible and glorious joy. Where did that come from? Jesus is the joy of your strength. Here's the last thing, and that is that we can choose joy. And this isn't a little thing either. This is really a, an eye-opener, wow moment it should be in our lives, right? Because there's a lot of uses in the, in, in the Bible of rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. This word is all the way through, and it's, it's a word that we really don't use in our culture anymore, Rejoice. But we ought to. I think we ought to try to revive this word. It's such an amazing word in the word of God. Rejoice is the verb of joy, right? It's the action word of joy. And if you go back to some of your school days, you would, you would know that this word rejoice, there's re is the prefix of joy. And so what is re there for? Well, we use it for a lot of times whenever it has got to do with return to or come again or bring it about a, 
bring it about again kind of thing. Like, remember, you recall it, right? You re- recall it. Even that's a re-word. Uh, return. Re- you know, all of these re-words, it's, it's just basically we put the R-E in front of it to help us understand that we're bringing it back again. And so when we realize that rejoice is literally meaning to return to, and it's an action word, and the Bible tells us rejoice like it's a command, all of a sudden there should be a light bulb comes in that, that all of a sudden it means, oh, you mean I can choose to have this? I thought it just had to happen to me. Like I just had to stumble into joy because I can't just manufacture it on my own. And you can't manufacture it on your own. Remember, Jesus is our strength of joy. But he's given you permission to choose it anytime you want, which is pretty insightful because I don't know about you, sometimes I wake up and I'm just thinking, man, I wish I had more joy in my life. And what if, it, what if it was just like, we could? <laughs> and I know that I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, you having a bad day? Well, you know, just suck it up. Put a smile on your face. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like, like it's some phony thing. But I'm just, I'm just saying that if we will return to the one who establish joy in the first place, we will find that that is choosing joy. The more that we return to Jesus, the more that we get to return to joy. Because he is a source of joy. If we're lacking joy, we're lacking Jesus. Just get a little more of Jesus in your life. Because I believe that it can come no matter what your circumstance, just like Mary and Elizabeth. They were in a bad situation, and yet joy burst through. Why? Because of Jesus. And when they got into a mutual place where they had something in common, it just couldn't hold itself back. I want to read to you a verse that I was sharing in my Sunday school class that was just pretty insightful to me this week. And it's in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a word there that I kind of dove into a little bit, and I kind of want to dive into it even more, but it was just the word consider in the, the NIV, I think. I think count it is the ESV, right? Count it, pure joy. Consider it, joy. What does that mean? And one of the things I came across is that another word that could be substituted is reckon it, pure joy, or account it, pure joy. It's like an accounting term, a banker's term. It's, it's like, go ahead and mark it down as good to go, like a guarantee. 
This word is used, and this is in Galatians is one place, but it's used in several different places about Abraham. It was accounted, he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was already marked down in God's book. It was, he, Abraham could already bank on having, being right before God. Why? Because he put his faith in God. Isn't that pretty cool? And so what it's saying here is when it says, consider it pure joy when you're going through trials. And we're like, that's crazy. How do you consider a trial or a burden or, or pain in my life counting it joy? That's, that's almost stupid, right? But the reason you can is because of where it will end. In other words, you can go ahead and bank on the fact that this bad thing that's going on in your life right now is going to turn out okay. And isn't that always kind of nice to know what's around the corner and how it's actually going to end? And how it's going to end is going to make you more perfect, complete, not lacking anything. And it eventually is going to end you being in the presence of God with Abraham and your loved ones. And so here, let me just say this as I wrap things up here. And that is just this. Life can seem unbearable. But it will turn out okay. In fact, more than okay, it's going to turn out wonderful. So even if you find yourself discouraged like Elizabeth and Mary, get around people that are like-minded and just be reminded and remind each other that everything is going to be fine. And give yourself a reason to rejoice as you come into the presence of Jesus. So MR is putting on the final touches on my office up here, and I appreciate it so much. He does such an amazing work, you know, with the trim and stuff. And I'm excited about showing it off. The only reason I haven't, like, made an announcement and, and invited you up is because I want to get that railing up because I don't want the kids running around up there. And also, it's, I still got a lot of cleaning up to do before it looks very nice, you know, as far as there's just, it's still kind of a storage area. But this past week, it, I'm just, I'm getting pretty proud of my little corner there. And, and uh, I was, I emptied my bookshelves off because I got my books up there just temporarily, but I emptied them off so that MR could do the trim around it. And so when I went to put them back on the shelf this week, I was a little more careful about how I did it. I was trying to put all my Bibles together, all my commentaries and in their order and all these different things. And in the midst of that, I was kind of reminiscing because I kept coming across pieces of paper that I stuffed here and there. And one of the things that I kept coming across is in some of my Bibles is, is just a little pamphlets that you get at funerals, you know. And I had kind of a few of them stacked there. And then I come across this note that was, you know, from like Jerry. And I come across this letter that uh, was uh, written out by Gina. And I was just reading through these things and I had this moment of just... Wow, you know, and at first it was just felt a little bit sad, just at first. And then I was just filled with joy. And the reason that I was is because, for one, the notes of faith that was written to me from these people, right? But then looking through the little pamphlets, just remembering these people of faith and what they were trusting and hoping in, And I just realized I can count it joy right now that this is all going to work out okay. 
You see, you can be in a really kind of a bad, like Christmas comes to us in different ways, and sometimes joy just comes. But sometimes life can be in a situation where it doesn't come as easily. But let me give you some, some pointers on how it can come no matter what situation you're in. And that is, first of all, you got to be around mutual people. Your church folks, your brothers and sisters in Christ that you believe. And you have conversations with them about Jesus because Jesus is our source of joy. He's our strength of joy. And you can choose to rejoice, to return to that joy any moment that you want. And let me tell you something. If you look further enough into the future and see where all this lands because of what Jesus has done, then we can start counting it joy now. We don't have to wait. We can start already make it's it's a reassurance, it's a guarantee that Jesus has given us. So, joy in the midst of discouragement. It's ours because God has made it possible for us to have. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for joy. It is something that is so, it feels so good. When joy comes into our lives, it's inexpressible. It's glorious. It is something that feels like the sunrise in the morning. It is full of hope and goodness and happiness and many smiles. And we know, Father, that the only reason that we can claim it as ours is because we claim Jesus as ours. We thank you, Father, for just moments to gather like this and moments that we interact with each other to be able to just express and sometimes don't even have to express what we feel inside because we just have something that is, that is common, and that is Jesus. We thank you so much for him coming into this world. We thank you so much for you making this plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.